You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is your host and editor, Michael Litchens. Thank you for joining us today during this ordinary time. We took a little bit of time off for Christmas and New Year's, but we are back and we have a lot of guests to talk about. Today we're talking about the spirituality of waiting. Seeing those times we have to wait, whether it's in the car, grocery store line, just about an example where you have to sit quietly and think, pray, whatever, and how we can use these times of waiting, even extended times like we talk about when I had to wait for my back to heal, and how we can use these times to really seize moments to grow in love, to grow in our prayer life, to really grow closer to God, but also to confront ourselves, to confront our own interior lives. This is going to be a fascinating conversation for any of you who might have trouble waiting. If you're like me, you like to listen to talk radio and get a little angry. This podcast is perfect for you. So sit tight, listen to Jeannie. We're going to have links to her website. You can also check out her new book. Go to CatholicExchange.com. If you have any questions, editor at CatholicExchange.com. But without further ado, let's get to Jeannie and I talking about the spirituality of waiting. And Jeannie, welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. To start us off a little bit, tell us, how can waiting have a spiritual dimension? Well, um, you know, most of us hate to wait. Oh, yes. And if anybody's like me, well, you know, especially in this modern culture, people are like so used to getting everything instantly. And so I think we're kind of conditioned to not wait. And so waiting is kind of uh, a foreign concept to us. It's also an imposition. It's like, oh, this is such an inconvenience. And so I think what we have to do is realize that there are certain times in our lives when God allows us to wait or maybe intentionally wants us to be waiting. And there's a purpose for that. We don't always know what that is. But that reason is usually to grow in some area of virtue. So I mentioned like we can be impatient. So maybe patience is a big concept that's or in a big virtue that's related to waiting. It's not exclusive to it. Mm -hmm. And then there's also like, you know, sometimes God is wanting us to really to take the time to pause and to ponder. Maybe we're so busy in our lives that we are not really taking that time out of our days to really reflect to really think about things deeply and to really look at ourselves deeply, to mm -hmm. have that introspection. So waiting can often give us that opportunity just because what are we going to do? If we have um, some sort of accident and we, or we're in a helpless state and we are bedridden, say, for example, we have all this time to think, right? And then thus time to pray, to reflect. And a lot of times you can look back at your life and say, wow. I see how these periods of stillness or, or a pause or maybe like being in this holding pattern, I see that God was working behind the scenes and there was something I needed to grow in before I could come into my element, before this particular thing could come to fruition. That was probably a longer answer than what you needed. but <laughs> No, that gives us a lot of ground to cover. I especially love what you talk about. Sometimes waiting can be as obvious as when you're injured. And I experienced that last year when I couldn't move for about two weeks and uh, it's a joke in our family that, men we don't get sick or injured. We just get angry about being sick and injured. Mm -hmm, and that's mm -hmm. more or less what happens, but it's hard to – like, that's the most obvious. But I think any time you have to wait is, as you said, in this modern time is difficult. And maybe we're just not conditioned to wait it like we used to. But even so, no one really wants to do it, especially if you're a busy person. 
Exactly. Or you tend to be like my temperament where you are a go-getter and you Mm -hmm. just, you want to have your finger in every pie. You know what I mean? And so like, that's really been the way my life has been. But I think another thing that helped me think a lot about this concept of waiting is that as most of your listeners probably know, I have a daughter with a rare disease. And so Mm -hmm. I have spent in the past five years of my life, I have spent so much time in doctor's offices, in exam rooms, in hospitals, just waiting. You're waiting to be called back. You're waiting to hear about what's what kind of diagnostic test needs to be done. You're Mm -hmm. waiting for a test result. And that's really kind of the crux of our life. And so it really got me thinking about why am I so restless when I have to wait? Why is it that when I'm sitting in the waiting room, I'm looking at people and everyone's on their phones and we're not even um, trying to discover that there might be something in being bored for five minutes Like, Mm -hmm. is it okay for our minds to kind of drift and wander? And so there were a couple of different books and um, an article, actually, that really influenced this book that I wrote, Waiting with Purpose, because it really made me think about this whole um, philosophical, I guess, underpinning underpinning about our, our beliefs about leisure and our beliefs about busyness. And so I really started thinking about that in terms of waiting and why pretty much none of us is able to do it well. Yes. Uh, was that book, perchance, Joseph Pieper's book, uh, Theory of Leisure, I think it was called? or Yeah, um, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. That Please, was one. Right. Yes, yes. Okay. And, and I love, he really lays this beautiful foundation about why And it's really kind of like an argument, you know, it's a persuasion about why leisure is not just beneficial for society, but necessary. We need the thinkers. We need the poets, the the writers, the philosophers. We need these people. And it's not just a luxury to ponder Mm -hmm. and to reflect. It is something that's really to, it's it's necessary to the core of our spiritual vitality, really. We have to be doing this on a regular basis. And so how do we get there? Waiting provides us that opportunity, doesn't it? We, whether it's five minutes, like I said, waiting in um, a line for the grocery. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, I see people scrolling <laughs> in their phones at the grocery store. And I'm like, okay, I have five minutes waiting behind this person, give or take. Why is it that our automatic conditioned response is to get out that phone and start scrolling through social media (laughs) and it is so right and it's like and so we have to get back to this place where we are comfortable with not always occupying our minds or busying our bodies with something to just be in the moment and to maybe even perchance hear god's voice speaking in that still small voice right the whisper not the earthquake Mm -hmm. not the lightning flash etc Yes, and that's very important. Also, that book is one of my all-time favorites, so that's very exciting. You got to use that. You mentioned also the activity I wanted to talk to you a little bit about. You mentioned the phone thing, where you look at our phone, even if we're only a few minutes behind someone at Trader Joe's or whatever. And this is so bad, I actually, my chiropractor told me just two weeks ago that a lot of problems are coming from the fact that we're looking down all the time, which we're mm. not naturally designed to be doing. Right. And that causes tensions and flare-ups in the back and it's like Mm. well so you're saying our phone is making us do something we're not designed to do i'm curious do you think is there some type of boredom dread something going on with why we want to be distracted all the time i think so i mean i think if if you 
really take even just a couple seconds to logically think that through. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of us are not comfortable with ourselves. We don't want to be alone with ourselves, Mm -hmm. with our own thoughts, with our own emotions. Why? Because it's uncomfortable. There might be something that we're avoiding dealing with. Maybe a relationship with someone. Maybe we're not forgiving someone. Maybe we're avoiding a person. Maybe we're hiding behind social media. Maybe we're pretending to be someone we're not because we're insecure or we're afraid of something. Uh, there's so there's a there's myriad reasons why, but I do think that that the distraction is really the enemy's tool to um, lead us away from the deep work and the and the meaningful purpose that we're called to do, which is different for every person. But waiting gives us that I don't know. It's kind of like being in the desert. So you mm-hmm. have this period of time where there's really nothing else to do, and you have to be comfortable sitting with those thoughts and those feelings and really looking within and saying, what is it God's asking me to work on? What are some bad habits that I have? Why am I responding or reacting actually in this way when I'm bored? What can I be doing differently? And so there's really an element of discipline and intentionality with what, how we use our time. I'm suddenly remembering Blaise Pascal. It's a quote attributed to him of all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone, mm. which uh, as I get older, I'm finding is more and more true than I ever thought it could be. Mm-hmm. And so while we're talking about the spirituality of waiting, were there any particular saints or devotions that you found helpful in thinking about waiting or in your own times of waiting? Well, there were there are two different specifics I can give you. One sure. is um, St. Teresa of Calcutta's call within a call. Mm-hmm. You know, that 40 years of her life, give or take or whatever it was, that where she had to wait for the call that she heard on the train to be fulfilled. Yes. And so that is one I, I read, um, Come Be My Light, a few years ago. Actually, it's probably more like several years ago. And when I got to that section in the book, it really resonated with me because I thought, wow, you really get a glimpse into the depth of her spirituality and what she was trying to glean from that and how she was trying to be faithful in the doubts. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another thing. Waiting is hard for us because it's full of uncertainty and the unknown. We have no idea. We're stuck between the past and the future. We have no idea maybe why we're in a certain holding pattern. Why is nothing moving forward? Why do I feel stuck? So I think her um, insights really helped me on the spiritual side when I read that book. And also a really short gem was written by Henry Nowen. And it was actually called The Spirituality of Waiting. And my spiritual director, yeah, my spiritual director gave me a copy of it. It's like an old photocopy, but it was so substantive. There was so much meat in that. And I mean, it just, he gave specific examples. Like for instance, he was talking about how there's a difference between active and passive waiting, which I'd never thought of. Mm. before. And so he gave examples. Active waiting is like advent waiting. So he said, look at the relationship with our lady and St. Elizabeth. And they were waiting for what? For a promise to be fulfilled, a specific promise, right? And mm-hmm. they were waiting together in community. And so there was, it was full of joy and anticipation and expectation. And so that's one particular kind of waiting we have in our lives, but it's very 
those are very few and far between. And what Henry Nouwen was explaining, and also W.H. Vanstone um, also explained in The Stature of Waiting, which is another book I used, um, they both said that most of our waiting experiences are related to our passion. It's related to what happens to us rather than what we are able to actively pursue. So in other words, we go from being the subject to being the object. Just like, yes, just like when Jesus was handed over in the garden, he allowed himself, he permitted himself to become the object of circumstance and what other people were going to do to him. He, he made that choice to let go of that control. And so we have to do the same thing in our moments of passive waiting. And that's what most of our waiting is. Do we want to be on the phone on hold for an hour with, you know, um, the government when we're talking? Like, I'm just using my own example. Like, when I'm talking to um, the case manager, when it has to do with Sarah's care, right, for her Medicaid and everything, Mm -hmm. do I really want to be sitting there for an hour? No. So what? that's passive waiting. What is possible that God might be... trying to speak to me through that what can i do with that time how can i offer that up maybe i can use that time for prayer Mm -hmm. and so there's just there are just countless ways that we really need to be receptive to what the holy spirit is asking of us in those times of waiting because they can differ that they can but going back to your last point i am curious for my own advice and i'm sure many of our readers would love some advice for people like me who are impatient, especially the lovely town of Denver is great, but they <laughs> have no road. They don't build enough roads, and everyone wanted to move here all at once. So I'm mm. often stuck in traffic for long periods of time. Mm. What's a good way to fill that waiting time rather than listening to talk radio and getting angry? Which <laughs> I, I'm speaking for personal experience here. This is about. Not a good idea, folks. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And that's such a common problem. We all can relate to that, right? (laughs) I mean, I don't live in a big city, but I live in a city with, like, road rage drivers everywhere. So, uh, and, you know, I've got three little kids in my van, so I'm just like, it's easy for my blood to boil, too. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that was reckless driving. So, anyway, I think this is is something that's a good question, Michael, because I think most people can relate to it. And I guess my answer would be, maybe this sounds very... I guess, like obvious, or maybe it sounds kind of cliched or oversimplified. But what I have done personally, and I know Ben has done this too, because Ben likes to listen to talk radio also. Um, When we find ourselves kind of in that pattern, and that waiting in traffic is really stressing us out, we will go through some of our old, old CDs and find something like the best of Gregorian chant, or maybe... um, I also have a couple of Baroque albums that my daughters really like, Mm -hmm. and we will put that on instead of the talk radio or the news. And sometimes I also have CDs for like singing the Divine Mercy Chaplet or the Rosary. And so sometimes we put those in too, and then our whole family will join along. The girls will join, you know, chime in with the prayers. Sometimes I just turn it off, to be honest. Like if I'm by myself, if I'm driving to a speaking engagement or a conference or something, and I have an hour and a half or two hours, sometimes silence. And I just sit there and I just let my heart kind of wander to heaven. And wherever it goes, it's just it's just free to, to listen to God, to talk to him, to tell him about, I don't know, my concerns, to just thank him for all the things that I really haven't stopped and considered that he's blessed me with in the past day or week or month. So there are really lots of ways that you can get creative with that. But I think it's important first to acknowledge when we're starting to feel that restlessness and that anger and that tension. And then, you know, just try a couple different options and see what really works for you. 
Because it really can't, your car can really be like a sanctuary, kind of. It really oh, can. Oh, yes, it absolutely can. And now, have you ever found, and do you address this in the book about uh, sometimes people find it even a little painful to wait in silence? Has that ever been your experience at all? Always. Mm. Absolutely, always. And again, you know, for me personally, it's a number of reasons. It's the uncertainty. It's the unknown. So it's, I talk about what um, some other spiritual writers have coined, holy tension. And I think it was Van Stone that said, waiting is the space between hope and fear. And I love that because it's true. You know, let's take for the example, um, someone who's waiting for test results. Maybe they had a biopsy or something and they have to wait, what is it, a week or something like mm-hmm. that. So that whole week, they're waiting in that space, right, where they hope that everything's going to be okay, but they're afraid that they might get that answer they don't want. And that's just one of many examples that we can use. What Waiting is this lingering where um, this tension, this holy tension meets, and it's called holy because it can be constructive. It can lead us to a greater dependence on God. It can allow us to let go of control and of needing to know the answers and to being comfortable with sitting with the questions and the mystery. Some great points, Jeannie. Overall, though, how can your book or any of the resources you mentioned help us with the fear of waiting and then realizing that hope? So what I did was I have the last two chapters in my book. Mm Mm-hmm deal with this specifically. The second to the last chapter, I have kind of this action plan on how we can listen to God. Yeah. And so um, really entering into that silence to ponder, Mm -hmm. to pray, and then to act. And so there's this whole step-by-step plan for how to do that in times of waiting. Then I also have, my last chapter has lots and lots of scripture verses about waiting and about hope. And it actually, this is a really cool point that I found out in my research Ooh. for this book. A lot of times, the words wait and hope are interchangeable, mm. depending upon the translation of the Bible. And so sometimes, and I, I use a couple of examples in there too, but sometimes we have to learn that when it says something like, we wait on the Lord, or we, we, um, um, we wait with courage, I am stout-hearted and I wait with courage, right? They're, these are from the Psalms, usually, mm-hmm. some of these. And sometimes it says, I hope for, I hope on the Lord. I hope for the Lord. I hope with courage. And so we have to remember that waiting does involve hope, that God wants us to have hope. He wants us to remember that He is a God of goodness and that even though we might be scared of what's going to happen or what might happen and we have all these doubts and what-ifs, um, and I think sometimes psychologically, the enemy can prey upon those things, right? Our discouragement mm-hmm. and doubts. And yet God is saying, no, remember, remember who I am. And so I think it's important for us to go back to scripture and remember that God wants what's best for us, that God is um, a generous God, that he is a merciful God. And so that we're not waiting for no reason that there's always going to be something fruitful at the end of this period of waiting, even though we might not know when that period is going to end. That is awesome, Jeannie. And when writing this book, I always love to ask authors about this. Was there a particular insight or something that really impressed you or just changed your whole life after writing and researching this? Yes, there was. Oh, good. And I want to see if I can find it um, because I actually wrote about it. Because it was from W.H. Van Stone's book, 
the stature of waiting. I don't know if you've heard of that. Hmm, no. So um, he's talking about moving from a place of active to passive waiting. And the way he explained it was like, I don't know how to explain it. It was so insightful to me. It was so, um, I don't even know the right word. It was just a a point of illumination that was like, it was life-changing for me. It was absolutely life-changing. So, okay, I think I found it. All right, so let's define, this is from my book, Waiting with Purpose. Mm -hmm. Let's define more clearly the difference between active and passive waiting before moving forward with how waiting hides a particular grace within it for our good. Active waiting is when we are the subject of what happens. For instance, if I say, and this is the example Vanstone used, for instance, if I say Jesus brought with him Peter, James, and John to the mountain, then Jesus is the subject. He's actively doing something. Active waiting implies community. Passive waiting, however, is when we move from being the subject to the object. In this circumstance, we would say, Peter, James, and John went with Jesus to the mountain. In that sentence, which essentially communicates the same message as the first, Jesus becomes the object rather than the subject. And when we become the object, we are handed over to others or to circumstance. We do not control what happens to us or what the outcome of a particular situation is. This is passion because we are entirely awaiting what others will do to us. So I paraphrased that, but that was pretty much the concept came from Vanstone. And I was like blown away by that. Like, why do we not? How how come I've gone my whole 37 years of life and I've never heard this before? It was amazing. It was just so, I guess, encouraging. It was inspiring. It was... um. It just was a piece of knowledge that was so clear and so illuminating because it appealed to logic and it appealed to um, theology and it appealed to philosophy. And it was just, it was so beautiful. So, yeah, I guess that's a long answer to that question. Oh, that's, oh, well, that's a very powerful answer, though. That's something I never even thought of. But in a way, it kind of takes, it's sort of almost an Augustinian approach to suffering in general. Like, instead of letting it just happen to you, you can rise to meet it and really decide that you can become better through it which Mm -hmm. is a wonderful thing because it can take you from feeling at least the way my brain is thinking about it right now is it can take you from feeling helpless to really going no this is going to be for my better and i'm going to be a much better person at the end of this than when i started so you mentioned the word helpless Mm -hmm. and that was another thing that uh, vanstone wrote about at length oh and that was something that i think when I wrote about it in my book, I wanted people to recognize that helplessness, according to him, and I agree with his point, he's very, very persuasive, um, helplessness is not only, it's necessary is what I'm trying to get at. Yes. It's necessary. So in other words, um, helplessness actually, helpless people, someone in a helpless condition. So, I, you know, when I think of that, I obviously automatically think of people that are disabled, we know a lot of people or we've met a lot of people who have cerebral palsy, they can't speak, they can't walk. And yet, so they are, they are what Vanstone would define as a helpless person. But you and I also feel helpless, right? We have also been in places in our lives. Like you mentioned um, an injury that you had. Uh, you know, when you have a baby, like you're helpless oh, for a while, especially if you have a, a surgery, like a C-section. So all of us have experienced this. But he's saying that helplessness is actually a necessary condition for sanctification. And what he means by that is that um, when Jesus, this is another point he made in his book, when Jesus was speaking in the active tense through the Greek translation that he mm-hmm. that he used in his book, 
it changed to passive tense when he was handed over in the garden. And then what was another thing that was interesting after that was um, Van Stone made this point that at the, I think it was at the Last Supper, Jesus said, uh, my work is finished. And then, but he didn't say it was finished or it is finished until he expired. Mm-hmm. And so Van Stone uses that to explain that work is not what makes us valuable as people oh. to being what society considers productive, being successful, being active. That is not what makes us valuable. What Vanstone says is it's our passion. It's that's our purpose. That's what God wants from us is to, to give him everything. And so when we suffer and we suffer with great love, we can also say it is finished. So it meaning everything is accomplished, right? Mm-hmm. That's why Jesus expired after he said that. Because it wasn't just his work that was most important. It was what was to come after that. And then, of course, the resurrection. So that might be kind of a long-winded way of getting to answering your question. But um, helplessness, I think, is an important concept. We have to reframe that and we have to look at it differently than what we do. In many ways, it sounds like your book is... I don't like to use this word or throw it out too often, but I'd almost say countercultural in the truest sense of the word. Like, this is something that the culture is not recognized. We don't really like, as you said, we value productivity, but not necessarily waiting and feeling passion. You bet. You bet. And I don't mind being called countercultural. That's a compliment. So I think most Catholics take it as a compliment when we're called that. So that's good. Oh, good. Because the culture sucks. So I want to be countercultural. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Jeannie, as we wrap this up, I'd like to know, uh, what did you enjoy most about writing this book? I enjoyed everything about it. The whole process. This is probably my favorite book that I've written so far. That's fun. And I'll say, because all the other books I've written are about grief and, and you know, the intensity of yes. suffering and entering into that <laughs> suffering, which is important. It's an important topic. And I, I'm glad and I'm honored that I've written them. But this book was joyful for me. It was like, I felt like when I was writing it, God was teaching me something as I was writing it, something I'd never heard in my life, no matter what theologians I followed or philosophers I'd followed, Mm -hmm. or despite all the classes I'd taken for my undergrad and graduate degree, it didn't matter. I'd never heard this. It was so amazing. So I got really excited about that. And then as I was writing it, I felt like it was a gift I was giving back to the Lord. So there was great joy in writing this book because it was um, touching on, I thought, a timely topic. And also something that was really important. I could see all that, and I'm excited for our readers to hear about it and read it. And final question for today, if anyone wants to learn more about you, pick up this book, or just read some of your writing, where can they go? Well, the book itself is on enroutebooksandmedia.com, or it's on Amazon, or people can get it from me by going to my website, lovealonecreates.com, and they can request a uh, signed copy if they want. Sweet. And that's my website, so... All right. And we'll put all those links up at CatholicExchange.com, as we always try to do. And Jeannie, of course, writes for us here. So come on over. You can see some of our archives. We'll put a link in our show notes. Jeannie, thank you so much for sharing. This was a very exciting conversation. And I know many of our readers will really love and appreciate what you've done in your book. Well, I appreciate you having me on, Michael. It was enjoyable to, to talk to you about it.